Let's, uh, let's pray, and then we're going to dig into two verses this morning, and hopefully dig into a hidden place in your heart at the same time. God, thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, and I thank you for the Christmas season to, uh, to pause and reflect on the wonderful gift of your son, Jesus Christ, and all of the gifts that he brought with him and gave to us. Father, I pray that you would uh, free us from distraction this morning, and um, God, I, I, I ask your Holy Spirit to dwell with us, Father, and, and enter into our hearts and into our souls, Father, and God, may we be confronted with the truth of who you are and the truth of who your Son is and uh, all that that brings to us, the good news of great joy that Jesus has entered as the Christ, the Savior that we need, and the forgiveness and redemption that he offers. God, connect our hearts with your truth this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Um, so uh, this morning... Uh, our, our series on, in, in Advent has been from this concept of enter in, and uh, the first week we talked that Jesus entered into our world with hope, and then last week we talked about how Jesus entered into our world with peace, and this morning we talk about how Jesus entered our world with joy. And uh, the message that I pre- preached on hope, uh, I started off by talking about this door, and I want to do that again this morning. Uh, so this door was my front door. Uh, prior to the tornado that hit our house in 2011. And if you look at it closely, there are, there are stains and chips, and uh, it's, it's not, a very, not a very pretty door. And when I was thinking through, processing through what the series would be, and, and my mind was kind of drawn to the fact, hey, we have a front door, and the idea is that Jesus walks into our, our front door and offers us gifts very similar to, if you guys have gone to a Christmas party, you might have brought uh, something to that party, maybe maybe cookies or a bottle of wine or, or something you brought something to. So very similar, that, that idea is that Jesus entered into our living room. And uh, so I'm, I'm processing through all this stuff and I grab this door that's been sitting in the a corner of our basement and I start to, to clean the door and, and try and make it look a little bit more presentable because it's going to be in front of our church for a month. And, um, and then the, the metaphor there hit me that I'm trying really hard to make something look really pretty so that it can be presentable for the church. Um, and I realized the silliness of that and, and began to connect that with this idea. And this is, there, there's so many things that I, I, I'm really excited to, to, to say to you guys today. Um, but one of them is that we're never, ever, ever here in this place called North Church, to celebrate your ability to clean yourself. Let me say that again. We're never, ever here to celebrate your ability or anybody else's ability to clean themselves. And, and the metaphor of the door that Jesus enters in is perfect that this door is imperfect and obviously imperfect because the, the song that we just sang, the, the chorus, prepare him room, prepare him room, let the king of glory 
enter in. And it's, it's nothing more than simply opening your dirty, imperfect door and allowing the king of glory to enter into your world. And the beautiful news is that the, one of the gifts that we're going to talk about today, the good news of great joy, is that Jesus enters in to your world with a gift of joy for you this morning. And I'm really excited for us to to, to look closely at what that means. So this phrase, the angel says, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That phrase, great joy, is two Greek words, and the first Greek word is megas. And it were, it's, you, you see the, our prefix there, mega, right? So it just means great in mass and measure. Great in mass and measure. So when we, when you, it's, it's real simple to connect with the word mega. When you think of mega, what sort of things do you think of? This is mega. This is a lot. This is great in mass and measure. But the word joy here means, is the Greek word kara, which means joy or gladness. So don't get too complicated because these two Greek words, a lot of Greek words are really complicated. We want to understand their, the nuance of these words. There, there's not much nuance to these words. What Jesus knocks on your imperfect front door and comes and sits in your living room with is mega gladness. Think about that. Who, who would like to have the gift of mega gladness given to them right now? Please sign me up. I'll take double. If anybody doesn't want theirs, I'll take yours. But this is when the angel enters in to the, the sky and confronts these shepherds with this idea. He's saying, I've got something really great. I've got something mega glad to say to you. And this mega glad is that you have Christ as your Savior. Um, but here's, here's a, a disconnect here. This is like in churches all over America today, somebody's going to stand in front and say, and all over America this month, somebody's going to preach from this verse. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And we'll include you and all the people. We'll talk about what all means and we'll talk about what people means and what great joy and good news. We'll talk about all those things. But there's a disconnect, right? Like that, that worries my heart because like a lot of times I just, I just, I just, I don't see it. Where's, where's my joy? And I look around and I I see refugees and I see the brokenness that's there. I see war. I see people plotting to kill masses of people. I see broken relationships. I see cancer. I see disease. I see hate. I see my kids fighting with each other. Where's, like, great. The angel breaks in and says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. But I don't, I don't see that. And so there's a, there's a disconnect. And, and like, I don't, I don't have some great punchline to, to convince you that, no, you're, you're really wrong. There is great joy. I don't, I don't have that. I, that's not a gift that I can bring to you today. The disconnect is, is that we don't see joy all the time everywhere. 
But here's, here's the, the beautiful truth that I, I desperately want God to con- I desperately want God to convey to you. He is big enough and strong enough to hold up to the weight of your doubt. Let me say that again. God is big enough and strong enough to hold up to the weight of your doubt. When you hear there is good news of great joy that will be for all the people, and then you see your world, you see your present situation, or you read the news and see the world's present situation, and you're like, that ain't true because I don't see joy. God is big enough to hold up to your doubt. In fact, I think God wants your doubt. Because if this is true, if all of this, if all of Scripture is true, if Jesus really is the Christ, and the birth of Christ really is good news of great joy that will be for all the people, then he's going to somehow figure out a way to, to chase our doubt and replace it with himself. Prepare him room. Let the king of glory enter in. Let him enter into your doubt. Don't be afraid of it. Because God has good news of great joy that can sustain the weight of your doubt. Um, I'm going to bring a, a second point to us this morning. The second point is that the circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus do not bring hope, peace, and joy unless the Christ is really being born. You with me? All right, so let's examine the circumstances that surrounded the birth of Christ. We have a pregnant teenager. Um, I'm, I'm married to someone who was once a pregnant teenager. And I can tell you that that was not a lot of peace and hope and joy surrounding that. Think about, this is, the, the facts are, this is a pregnant teenager in a rural, poverty-stricken place. Her fiancé is not the father of this baby that she's pregnant with. That brings disgrace to him. So she's a pregnant teenager, and he's... I don't, I don't know what he's thinking. That's not my baby. I don't want to... Like, people are going to think stuff of me, but I know the truth. That's not mine. The circumstances that surround the birth of Christ are not very joyful. Then they get to travel 80 or 90 miles by donkey, nine months pregnant. Like, I feel like every time you hear a, a Christmas message and you talk about the journey to Bethlehem, you hear that, that phrase, she's pregnant nine months and they traveled all this way and it took them all this time. But I, I, I really want you to, to think about the circumstances that are there. And then they spent the night in, in, a, in a barn, um, and there's, like, my, my dog is domesticated. She lives in my house, and she, you know, lives in my house. But she stinks, all right? You get up, you get up close to her, and, you know, 
pet her, whatever, she, she doesn't smell very good. But we're talking about a bunch of animals who live outside all the time. There is a, there is a wicked stench that's present here. A, a wick, like, like a pungency that smacks you in the face. And these are the circumstances around which the king of glory enters into your universe. Circumstances are, are not, not good. Um, so we put the physicality of the situation with Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and everyone into perspective. And we see the lack of peace that should have been present, the lack of joy and the lack of hope that should have been present in Mary and Joseph, but it wasn't. Why wasn't it? One simple, one simple phrase. The reason that hope, peace, and joy were present in awful circumstances is that this, was, this is Jesus. This is the Christ. This is the hope of the world. This is the one that all of mankind has been waiting for here in the middle of awful circumstances. So we see that in a Christmas story, right? Awful circumstances, pregnant teenager, fiance who's the baby's not his, traveling all this way, sleeping in a barn, these terrible circumstances. Now I want you to flip that idea and not just be about Mary and Joseph and Jesus and shepherds and be about you 2015. Think about your circumstances and how awful they might be. Seriously, think about that. And if these circumstances were alone and they're in their own parentheses, if your circumstances were in their own parentheses, they're awful, miserable, unless Jesus is the Christ. And the good news of great joy that will be for all the people is he is the Christ. He is the Christ. So connect with Mary's 14, 15-year-old huge belly walking 80 miles in the awful, gross circumstances and the people talking about them and not understanding the situation where she finds herself and her, her fiancé being confused and worried and probably angry and frustrated and, and lacking in all, all those circumstances in parentheses, destroyed by the fact that this is the Christ. That's incredible, incredible news. Because joy that the angel is talking about, this mega joy that God intends for you to have goes deep. Um, so about a year before the tornado happened at my house, um, we, got a, we decided we're going to put up a fence around our backyard. Um, our dog was a runner, and she would run, and it was, made it really hard for us to, to take the dog out, and we wanted to have a place for our kids to go into the backyard and play. There's a creek behind our house, so we don't want our, our small kids to, to walk back into the creek and, you know, cause problems, so let's build a fence. We built a fence. The, we had to draw up some plans, take them to the city of Ferguson. The city of Ferguson said, uh, yes, we approve these plans, but one of the things that they said was, you have to have your fence post has to be two feet deep and at least eight inches wide. You're, so we had to dig the hole. So what we did, we, we put the, the, 
the plans in front of them and they said, okay, this works, but before you start building the fence, I'm going to come out, the, the inspector is going to come out and examine your holes, make sure they're, they're deep enough and they're wide enough so that these posts will be in there deep, all right? And so we did that. The inspector comes, comes out and he actually is in every single one of the, the post holes. He's with the tape measure. Yeah, that's good enough. Yeah, that's wide enough. Perfect. That's good. And we went to each one and signed off on it and said, okay, you can now begin to build your fence. And so fast forward a couple of years and the tornado happens and these fence posts, every one of them are there still. The tornado didn't take out the fence posts. The tornado ripped a roof off of a, a building a mile away and planted it in my backyard, but it didn't knock these fence posts down. I don't know, I don't know why. It's probably like, who knows, whatever. But if, if you think about this too long, it'll kill the metaphor, so don't think about it too long. The, the point is that the joy that Jesus intends for you to have is a joy that runs deep and is unaffected by circumstance. Let me, let me say that again. The joy that Jesus intends for you to have and left heaven and came to earth for you to have and walked into your jacked up, dirty, awful front door, walked into your living room, sat down and offered to you as a gift is a joy that runs so deep that circumstances can't change it or shake it or, or destroy it even a little bit. That's good news of great joy that is for you. The third thing that I want you guys to see this morning is the second half of that, of number two, he really is the Christ. You have a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Um, I read a sermon this week by a guy named Ray Ortland. Um, I'm going to quote him twice this morning. Here's the first one. The greatest thing God could ever do for us is to give us a Savior. Because our basic problem in life is not financial or political or intellectual or psychological. We need a Savior to rescue us from ourselves. Your basic problem, the, the most basic problem that you have, is that you need a Savior to save you from yourself. It's not anything other than that. If you think your problem is physical or circumstantial, you're wrong. Your problem is that you need a savior to rescue you from yourself. Here's the, here's the deal. We want to be happy, right? Do you want to be happy? I want to be happy. In our call to worship, the reading that we read together, the first line, do you remember what you guys said together? God wants you to be happy. Do you, do you believe that? God wants you to be happy. And not just that. He wants you to be mega happy. He wants you to be mega fence post deep happy. I want on, when is Christmas? Thursday? Friday. Friday? Seriously, half of you didn't know that either. Don't act like you didn't. <laughs> On Friday, when my kids wake up and open the gifts that we've bought for them, I, I'd 
deeply want, I, I can't wait. I'll, I'll have my phone ready recording to watch their faces light up. Like I still remember when Hannah Grace opened her One Direction tickets and her excitement. I've shown the video as an illustration here. You guys know what I'm talking about. I, I, still, I still remember that. And like I can't wait. I, and, and her happiness made me happy. And it's still like it's fence post deep for me. Like I still remember it. I can, it's, it's visually in my brain right now. I can, I can picture it. Like we want to be happy. We want the people around us to be happy, right? I'm one, one of the greatest joys of my life is to get to, to counsel with people. One of the, the, the greatest joys of that is watching the gospel take its root in somebody's brain or soul. And you can just see it's a different sort of, it's not opening one direction ticket sort of joy, but it's, it's like a, like there is, there's an obvious physical reaction when you encounter the gospel that brings joy. And, and for me, one of, the, one of the greatest moments of my life is to sit in my living room and watch that happen in somebody's heart. I love that. God wants us to be happy. He wants us to, to be satisfied at our core. But we mess it up so bad. We mess it up so bad. My pursuit of my happiness many times infringes on your pursuit of your happiness, and we have a conflict. I want you to think about the conflicts that are present in your specific world and then in the world, and most of them you can probably trace back to the fact that that my pursuit of my happiness is in conflict with your pursuit of your happiness, and we're at odds with each other, right? So this week, I saw this happen. Um, Two little boys, an older brother and a younger brother. Older brother's playing with an iPod, iPad. And younger brother is, is upset before, like, I engaged this, this scenario playing out. So younger brother's upset. Older brother's just content, peaceful, playing his iPad. Um, younger brother walks to older brother and, and sees the iPad, and he's already frustrated, and he tries to take the iPad. Older brother, now beginning to get a little less content, gets frustrated at younger brother, and says, kind of pushes him away. Younger brother comes back to older brother and pops him right in the chest. Older brother, much bigger, shoves younger brother and mom now enters in and younger brother is freaking out and mom comes in, picks up younger brother, takes him away. Older brother (laughs) starts playing on his iPad again. That's a silly little story of something that actually happened, but it is the absolute picture of what's at war with your joy. I'm trying to pursue what I want, and somebody else is trying to, trying to take that from me to get what they want, and we're now at odds with each other. And we wind up broken, and we hurt each other. Um, Ray Ortland says this, Our good intentions are not strong enough to control our evil impulses. Was it right of younger brother to punch older brother? You won't have an easier question today. Was it right of older brother to retaliate 
and punch younger brother. Lots of things could have played themselves out differently in this setting, in this situation. But our impulses are evil. This is mine. I want this now. And, and think of, of other bigger picture stuff. This is a fight between uh, two little boys that doesn't change the, the path of the universe. But it's a, a certain, the reality of the truth of what happened in this, these little boys' minds and hearts is what happens inside of our hearts all the time. Our evil impulses are not strong enough to overcome our good intentions. So we need a Savior. Again, there's the same phrase he said earlier. We need a Savior to rescue us from ourselves. So finding our own mega gladness that is fence post deep goes beyond our circumstances and not something that you and I are capable of attaining for ourselves and therefore we need help for it. Um, one last story about my backyard. Uh, tornado knocks down a bunch of our, our brick walls. And so we have, uh, still to this day, we've got hundreds and hundreds of bricks. You guys want some bricks? Come by my house. I'll give you a few. Um, hundreds of bricks, uh, kind of on the back side of my house. And um, this late summer, early fall this year, I decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a fire pit out of those bricks, right? I'm going to look at YouTube. I'm going to, how to make a, a brick fire pit in your backyard. Like videos galore on YouTube. It's a glorious thing. What a, what a, what a generation we live in. <laughs> so I'm, I, I've, I've got these bricks and, and I, I take them to the back corner where the fire pit's going to be. And so my idea, I, I talk to a friend. Here, here's an idea. Here's what you want to do. All right, good idea. So I, I dig about a maybe three inch deep, three, four inch deep hole in my backyard, square it off perfectly. And like, I'm, I'm, you guys know me. I'm not the, the most handy guy in the world, right? But I can do a few things. So if I really, I'm going to really focus on this. I'm going to do this well. It was, it was perfectly square. And so my, there's, there's a, a slope to my backyard, but the bottom of the pit was perfectly flat. I got my level out there. Like I'm, I'm, like I'm down on my hands and knees. It's, it's really good. All right. And so the YouTube video told me to do is you dig your, you dig your hole and then around the outside of, of your hole, the inner part of your hole around the outside is you, you dig four or five inches down and then in each one of the four corners, you dig about two feet down as, as footings. Okay. So I've, I've got my trench around my, I've, I've, I've done this really well up to this point. You, you, you should be really proud of me. So I've done this really well. And so I, I then go to the, the hardware store, get some concrete, fill up the fill up my uh, wheelbarrow with concrete, and begin pouring it into my trench, and and it's it's really good. And then, so the idea is after this concrete is up, that's that becomes your base where you're going to like put your bricks on, right? And I realize I'm probably going to need some help with the bricks um, because you know I'm, I, they need to be done well and they need to not fall when because somebody's going to put their feet up on the edge of the bricks and knock it over and knock it into the fire and it's not going to be pretty and um, somebody's going to get hurt. Um, probably my, my children. So I, I want this to, to do well. So I, I, I've, I've studied these YouTube videos over and over and over again. I study them a lot. And, okay, I think I can do this. So I go out there with some bricks and I, I lay them down. But the problem is, is that like 
the concrete trench that I've dug is not quite wide enough. It's, it's not quite as wide as the bricks. So the brick is going to sit on part mud and dirt and part concrete. And I'm like, I, I don't think that's the way it's supposed to be. And so, all right, maybe I can, you know, force it in there. And it's, so I, I've got all, like, the first layer of bricks around, and it's, it's, it's completely imperfect. And I'm, I've decided at this point that, like, I, I can't, I'm, I'm, this is over my head. So guy across the street has a guy who does some work like this. And so I, I say, hey, can I have your guy's number? And let him come over. He comes over, looks around, and he says, yeah, I can, I can bring those bricks up and, and lay the bricks and kind of fix a little bit of the stuff you've done. Um, it's going to be $800. And, and I can probably get to it in probably January. This is like August. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll talk to my wife about it. <laughs> um, so, uh, like a week later, I've completely given up and I'm digging dirt behind my fence and wheelbarrowing it and putting it back into the hole. I've completely given up. And so if you go to my backyard today in the back corner and you find the right spot, you can dig up and find this little trench that I've dug. It's, it's buried now. So my failure is buried now. So that's a long story to say the... We are incapable many times of achieving what we want and the happiness for us. And what's more, go with me here, what's more is when we fail, we bury that and try to forget about it. But the fact remains is there's a, there's a, a concrete trench in my backyard that will always be there. I can, I can decide that it's not there. I can pretend that it's not there, but if we go, it's there. And what that shouts to me is, you messed up, you're not good enough to do this. Do, do you, are, you, are you picking that up? But this is the glorious nature of our God is the, the, the Savior, the Christ that he is, is that our brokenness doesn't just need to be forgiven, it needs to be redeemed and fixed. I want to tell you one last story. David and Bathsheba. You guys remember David and Bathsheba, right? David is the king of Israel, the most powerful warrior, the leader of the most powerful army. He's a brilliant man. His people are at war and he's home. He should be at war, but he's home instead. And he looks across the way and sees a beautiful woman sunbathing on a, on a rooftop across from him. And he says to himself, I want that. And because he's so powerful, he gets that. He wants to be happy. But his good intentions are not powerful enough to overcome his evil impulses. So he has Bathsheba. She's now pregnant. David realizes she's pregnant. He brings her husband home, a man named Uriah, from war. The, the idea is he will, have, he will lay with his wife and everybody will believe that the baby she's pregnant with is his and everything will be fine. He'll bury his problem, his inabilities, his issues. 
Uriah says, no way. My guys are on the front line. They're willing to die. I am not going to take advantage. I'm going to be solidarity with my boys, and I'm I'm not going to sleep with my wife. David's now in trouble. David sends Uriah back to the war to a place where he will certainly be killed, and he is killed. And so somebody in David's life comes up to him and says, dude, this, you're, this wrong. Stop it. You need to repent. David repents. Psalm 51 is, is David's repentance psalm for this. All right, so all that story we've probably heard before. You know before. You haven't told anything brand new. But here's, here's what I, I want us to hear. This is desperately what I want us to hear, is that David's sin with Bathsheba and with Uriah and, and with the cover-up and the lying and the scheming and all that stuff needed to be forgiven. But it needed also to, the, the fullness of what it means to have a Savior is not just forgiveness, it's also redemption. David's sin needed to be redeemed. Watch this. The child that David impregnated Bathsheba with initially, ultimately died a few days after he was born. The next baby that David and Bathsheba have is someone named Solomon. Perhaps you've heard of Solomon. So Solomon is the, is the direct product of David's sin with Bathsheba. Let me say that again so you don't get confused. David's Solomon's life is the direct product of David's sin. Solomon is responsible for the book of Proverbs. So every time you read a book of Proverbs and are influenced by it and sense the presence of God, that is a direct correlation to David's sin. God is a redeeming God. The Song of Solomon, beautiful poetry, written to inspire the heart of God's people to respond and worship to their God. Beautiful, beautiful words. Direct product of David's sin. Here's the even more beautiful part. Um, look, at, look at that verse again. An angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for." Unto you is born this day in the city of David. This is soul shattering to me. Incredible. Jesus Christ is the direct product of David's sin. Let me see. Jesus Christ himself is the direct product of David's sin. Do you think for a second that God can't make something beautiful out of your sin and out of your brokenness? Look at what he did. He brought Christ to this earth as a product of something that was terrible. Imagine if if I did what David did. Imagine that today. I'm supposed to be somewhere and my wife is someplace else and I take, I take Megan and I impregnate her and I try to kill Travis because of that. What, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to Megan? What's going to happen? It's going to be brokenness everywhere and just tragedy. It's going to be horrific. But this is David who is the most powerful man in the world that this happens to. 
And the ultimate outcome of that, the beautiful outcome of that, is Jesus himself. That is, wherever you think you are, God offers to you not only forgiveness, but redemption. He will fix your broken. Do you, like, are you so arrogant to think that God can fix David's broken in that beautiful way, but he probably can't, like, he can't fix my broken. The good news of great joy that's fence post deep is yes. He is a redeeming God and he thrives on fixing the broken. One of the greatest attributes of our God, and there are many, countless, is he will fix your broken. And our Our only job in the middle of that are the last words that we sang together. Prepare him room, let the king of glory enter in. How cool is that? How cool is that? That is good news of great joy. That is for all the people. I think it's a good time to pray and sing. God, I thank you for Jesus. God, I thank you for the good news of great joy that we celebrate this Christmas season. God, I pray that you would give us joy, real, lasting, powerful joy that goes beyond our circumstances. That's even the joy that's even there as a result of our circumstances. God, would you give us whatever is needed to just get out of the way and open our door to you? That you might come in with your saviorness and redeem us and forgive us. You are good, holy, mighty, and able God. God, prepare our hearts to receive your son, Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.